Honey Bear. You're listening to the Honey Bear Files. My name is Mariah, but my sons call me Honey Bear. I wanted to record some life lessons and advice for them before I forgot because I have a bad case of mom brain. My kids are one and three, so these lessons are for their future selves. Hi guys, it's Mama. Adult content has been included. Before we get started, I wanted to share what I call a time capsule with you guys. Since Jack and Archer won't be listening to this for quite some time, I hope. Um, the last time I shared a lot of news headlines, so I'm going to shelve that this time, if that's okay. Um, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and just about everyone and their moms came to our house. It was actually a lot of fun. Jack, oh my gosh. You you love a good party. So by the end of the night, you were running around just yelling and screaming and smiling and laughing, just amped up on sugar, but also on excitement. Archer, you poor thing, you wanted to melt into a puddle because you had to skip some naps. Um, you cannot seem to nap if you know that there are other people in the house having a great time and you want to be there. But uh, I got you guys matching jammies to celebrate Christmas time. Um, I also made you and your cousins Christmas ornaments. Jack, you are quite the sentimental guy, it turns out. Uh, you carried that Christmas ornament around everywhere for the next um, like two weeks. I mean, it's finally on the tree, um, although it's scratched up because of the enormous amount of love you gave it. <laughs> um, your dad and I also just celebrated our 15-year wedding anniversary. I went to San Francisco. We had a great time. Two years ago, I was planning for our 15-year anniversary. I wanted to whisk your dad away to Italy. Um, but, Archer, you happened instead. Another story for another day. Um, couldn't be more happy for the outcome, but... Today, I wanted to talk all about you, Jack. I wanted to talk to you. Um, you're three years old. You love birthday parties like so much. You, you, you are today, um, you're definitely an extrovert, a friend, a smuggler, a feeler. You love the color blue. You like rainbows. You love to sing. You love to dance. You love making people laugh. You love love. You feel things. You understand feelings a lot. Um, you love the song Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and you like to tell me that it's your jam. Mom, this is my jam. So cute. Uh, you have always, since the moment you came into this world, have been a guy who is just sensitive. You feel deeply. You have a big old heart. Um, and what I have to look out for you the most is uh, when I have to discipline you. I have to do it in a way that doesn't hurt your feelings. Um, there's a difference, at least for you, between having you understand that a behavior is wrong and giving you a timeout versus like letting myself get visually angry. When you know, for example, that your dad is mad and like he like really like ah has a moment where he's mad at you, you fall apart because you want him to love you. And this is a hard part for us because of course we still love you. 
Our anger makes you, though, question if we still like you. It makes you insecure and it makes you feel like you're going to lose us. Um, so putting you on timeout is actually putting ourselves on timeout. It lets us as your parents cool down so that we can actually talk to you in a way that's helpful for you and I. <laughs> you and I have this little game that we play sometimes before you go to bed to help you understand. Um, and so I say, Jack, when you're happy, when you make this happy face, I love you. And when you're sad, and then you make those sad face, I love you. And when you're scared and you make, you furrow your brows like, oh, you're scared. I say, I love you. And when you're surprised and you go, oh, and your eyes get all big and you make this round O shape in your mouth. So cute. And when you're surprised, oh, I love you. And when you're naughty and you make this mischievous face, I say, I love you. And when you're good, I love you. And when you're angry, I love you. And when you're bored, I love you. I love you all the time. No matter what, I always love you. Uh, it took us many years to get pregnant with you. Your dad and I were married for 10 years before you came along. And we went through miscarriages fertility treatments, loads and loads of testing. Um, your dad and I both took this one medication <laughs> called Clomid and he was totally excited because he gained 20 pounds in one month. He's a skinny guy. Um, I was so sad because I too gained weight, but I had no baby to show for it. Uh, he went off the medication and I had to cycle on and off of it for a few years. And, uh, one on my very last go with it, uh, before I was going to stop all fertility treatments because we had run out of money for the time, um, your dad and I went away on a little vacation to South Lake Tahoe. And two weeks later, as I was having an emotional breakdown about work, which in hindsight was crazy hormones, I took a random pregnancy test and I almost passed out. I called your dad. I'm pregnant. And his reaction was priceless. He says, how did this happen? Um, to which I make a smart ass remark like, well, when a mommy and daddy love each other very much. And he says, stop, I know. Call the doctor. Um, and so from that day on, the first trimester, I was in and out of doctor's offices at least twice a week until everyone was confident that you're going to make it. I had to take extra medication like progesterone. <laughs> it was awful. I'm not going to go into it. Um, I just needed to ensure that you were going to make it out alive and it was stressful and it was scary and fear and caution was the theme of my pregnancy with you. I got pregnant in the summer and had to work this kids camp that was outside, but the doctor fully vetoed that because of the summer heat. Then I had to tell my job, which put a strain on my job for sure. Then, come four months into the pregnancy, I had to stop exercising altogether. I mean, caution, caution, be careful, be careful. Um, the good news was that you were healthy, and you were moving, and you were thriving, and all of the sacrifice was paying off. Um, the day I went into labor, it was sunny, warm, March day. I woke up early in the morning feeling so, so gross. Um, I didn't know I was in labor. I went to watch a movie upstairs and like the only thing uh, I could find was this horror film of Hansel and Gretel. I mean, this movie was so bad and it's such a regret that it is the, what I watched the day you were born. 
I mean, I could have, like, <laughs> anything else could have been something, like, really that I could be proud of, and I'm not. It was really bad. There's some movies that are so bad it's funny. This one was not that kind of bad. It was just so bad. You should Google it. That would actually be funny if we watched it together and we made fun of it at the same time. We should do that. Putting that on my list. Okay. The day I go into labor, it's actually the day after you were due. So your dad had the day off work. Um, I decided I wanted to scrub the bathtub because I had it in my mind that if I went into labor, I wanted to labor in the tub before going to the hospital. Uh, after the tub scrub, I noticed that my water was leaking. I'm not talking about bath water. I'm talking about actual pregnancy amniotic water. Uh, I went to the doctor's office. And they said we should go straight to the hospital. So naturally, I went straight to Burgers and Brew for a spicy avocado and bacon burger with fries. It was awesome. And after we ate, I can still taste how delicious it was because there is nothing like that burger in Sacramento. There's a few places. Broderick's also has a fantastic burger, but it wasn't available the day that you were born. Um, this, this spice, I want one right now. Okay, after I ate, I got up, I had to go pee. Typical pregnant lady. I'm walking through the dining room and my water broke all over the floor and nobody noticed. I had to grab a manager and be like, hey, so um, my water just broke all over the floor. I would hate for someone to slip in it because it's not actually water. Wink, wink. And so after... Um, the manager asked if he could call an ambulance. Um, I said, no, I just need some towels because this is gross. Um, he actually said that it was really good luck for someone to have their water break in your restaurant. Isn't that cute? You are good luck. Oh, it, should, it was a sign. It was a sign from God. But, um, but this was also when I realized, which is forever my mantra when it comes to parenting, is that you have to toss all of your expectations into the wind. Because I didn't get to go home and lay in my cozy, clean tub. I had to go to a hospital. And I wanted to labor without any medication for as long as possible. But after 15 hours, I gave up because something changed with my labor. And I honestly thought I was going into active labor. But what was happening was that you my precious one, we're going into distress and all this danger, danger, danger uh, signals were going off and the doctor comes in and says we're headed to the operating room in five minutes. 20 minutes later, you were in the recovery room holding you and you look just like your dad, but older. He's such an old man face. You were so sweet and so cute. Um, but I was tired and I was over medicated and I just went through this traumatic event and I needed to nurse you. I had to feed you. And this was not how I envisioned this moment. I remember the whole day after um, I had to tell the nurses to stop giving me pain medication. Um, and it took about, yeah, like a day after you were born, my mind finally unfuzzed. Like I could see straight. And I looked at you and I cried and I kissed you. Um, your dad technically was the first person to kiss you, but every other kiss was from me for many, many days. Um, I kissed you. I hugged you. Um, you know, we didn't name you until after you were born because, um, I was afraid I would lose you. 
and here we were with you, our little Jack. I was overwhelmed. Um, and I was also very aware of how terrified I was. I was so afraid. Um, I didn't want anything bad to happen to you. I didn't sleep for three days, partly because uh, you're a newborn. I mean, you newborns don't sleep. But also because I didn't want anything to happen to you. I mean, my mind completely pivoted away from myself and onto you. I mean, I have weird thoughts like, how would I go back to work and leave you? I mean, this is actually on my mind. I have like three months of maternity leave to not care about work. And here I'm like, ah, I can't leave him ever. Um, my constant prayer was, God, keep him safe. Like over and over, like a mantra, keep him safe, keep him safe, keep him safe. Every night for weeks, whenever you were sad or in distress, I was vigilantly with you. And your dad was great too. I mean, we became students of you. We studied everything about how you worked. Uh, I developed like this mother sense um, that I still have to this day. It's like this ability to sense what you need before you need it, like to predict your next step, your next need. And the beauty of you is that most of the time what you need is snuggles and good old-fashioned mama dada loving. You're such a lover. And um, you're like your dad. You uh, you brought such deep, deep joy to my life, and you're loved. And the idea of trusting God with you was that was terrifying. And I use this verb specifically because it's the only one that really works with how I was feeling. I wanted, and I still want, to protect you and your tender heart. Do you know? How important it is for a man to feel deeply the way that you do. Your ability to empathize started really young. It's a special gift. And I know a lot of people who have to work really hard to understand how someone else is feeling. But it becomes natural for you. Like, I never want this world to steal from you or make you feel like you're weak because of this, I mean, you're gifted and special, and I am so excited about how God leads you to use this to help others. But trusting God was something so dear to me. You, you're dear to me. Makes me feel powerless. And much like the story of you, you're just a miracle, honey. That you're alive is a miracle. God is the only being with the power of life. And he decided that you, you should be with me. You're my miracle. And you stole my whole heart. And the idea that there are things about you that are out of my control is hard for me because I want to preserve and protect you. Um, before you came and changed my life, I would pray to God and I would tell him that I loved him unconditionally with my whole heart. And then you came and I actually love you with every inch of my heart. And you've taught me what true love really is. I mean, your simple existence, let alone how wonderful you are, completely rebuilt my theology. I mean, a mother's love is powerful. It's fierce. So God's love for me as a child now blows my mind. And I, when I tell God that I trust him with everything, it means a whole lot more 
and it's a whole lot more intense now, and it's because of my love for you. I gave up my old life to be able to love you the way I want to, and you will hopefully give me a grandbaby one day, <laughs> and on that day, you will understand what I'm talking about. And there's this Bible verse that always sweeps over me uh, when I think of you, and it's Isaiah 41.10, and it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so much of this verse is for you, but it's also for me. Like, I get it. Uh, I did a study on the book of Isaiah to prepare for our talk today. Can I just tell you that reading the book I, from, of Isaiah from cover to cover is grueling, it's super morbid, and sad. I mean, the first section is all about God's anger, his clenched fist that's ready to take out nations, which he would eventually do, all those things. I mean, it's really not an easy read. Um, it's hard to get through, and it would almost make a person want to stop and give up, which isn't that just like life? Anyways, because if you get through it, there comes this other dramatic section about the coming Messiah that just screams out about the promises of Jesus. Um, it's definitely a dramatic scene change for sure. And then another turn in the book, which is like a love letter from a mother to a child, from God to his people, and how he will preserve and protect them. And I'm like, hey, wait, I want to preserve and protect Jack, right? I am your mom, and you're my child. I am totally feeling God's message here on a personal level. Side note, I love it when the Old Testament prophets start talking in this feminine theology terms uh, like God is like a mother, or God is like a nursing mother, or he views us like a child. Um, it's a good reminder that gender is a human thing and outside of God. I mean, collectively together, not just individually, we're made in the image of God. Back to the story. Context of this verse. Do not be afraid. Um, well, really, like you have to take a Bible verse like that, and you have to look at it in the context of the whole book. So the first part of this book is all about how life, um, life is hard. Uh, Jack, uh, you're going to go through struggles in life, and I can try to warn you, and I can teach you everything I know, can tell you my weird stories, but this won't protect you from hard times. It won't. It won't protect you from getting hurt. I mean, the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer is both really complex and also really simple. I mean, some bad things happen to us as a result of other people's terrible choices. I mean, big, big picture here, for example, bad politics or policies in our nation can do and hurt a lot of innocent people. Uh, on a smaller scale, um, an innocent child, for example, could get abused because of the actions and choices of his or her abuser. Uh, and even more closer to home, um, I could hurt you because I, your crazy mom, said something to you that maybe you didn't deserve to hear or wasn't true and it hurt you and it made your life difficult. Um, we live in a world of freedom of choice, and when bad choices are made, other people are affected by them, innocent people. And much like Isaiah, the people um, that Isaiah was talking about were about to get punched out by God because of bad decisions. 
And some bad things happen because we ourselves make terrible choices. We talked about the innocent child who is abused. What about the abuser? What if we are the one who gossips? What if we are the thief who steals? Bad choices and behaviors sometimes have um, immediate gratification, but eventually that shit catches up with you, man. Uh, Some people call this karma. I call it God letting things play out and letting you sit in your mess. If you treat people poorly, you will end up being alone. And if you break the law, you will go to jail. If you spend all of your money, you will be broke. There are times when bad things are going on in our lives because we stink. Um, One of the themes in Isaiah is about God's justice. Um, God's justice, it brings peace. Now that doesn't, when you think of being judged or you think of God's judgment, especially when you read the book of Isaiah, I mean, God's judgment is a clenched fist. Um, Hardcore. Uh, Does not sound pleasant, does not sound fun, does not sound enjoyable. No thanks, I don't want it type of situation. But the promise is that that judgment actually brings peace. Hmm. Our job as the one being judged is to be totally honest with God, totally humble and submit to it. And then from there... God's love comes and it preserves us and it makes us new. And our trust in God creates a bubbling brook of hope for what is actually possible for our lives. Um, There's also something I like to call the wild card. These are like acts of God that cause horrible things to happen to people or illnesses like cancer. That shit's unavoidable. Um, We live in bodies that will eventually die. And thank God for science, right? Helps extend life. You think of your Auntie Chelsea. She didn't deserve to get cancer. Literally, probably, most definitely, the nicest person we have in our lives. There is not one person that does not love her. She is lovable, and she is wonderful, and she is beautiful, and she is precious, and God loves her and has a plan for her life. And for whatever reason, it's a wild card because part of her life has to do with cancer. It has to do with science. It has to do with treatment. It has to do with trust. There's no answer. Natural disasters, I don't believe there's an answer for that. I don't understand much of it. I'm not going to blame God for it. And bad things happen. They happen to everyone. And hardship, um, it'll come to you too, my sweet boy. Even Jesus. Think about Jesus. You know, they call him the suffering servant. Um, God, he becomes a man, Jesus, to teach us how to be with God, be with each other in a way that is actually um, wonderful. And part of that meant that he would be murdered. I mean, he knew going into it that he'd have a hard life, He'd eventually have a single mom because Joseph died at some point. And then he was a teacher who threatened the system. And so those people he came to help actually killed him. And yet he followed through. I mean, ah, how scary is that? And what does God say? In the midst of the struggle, he says, trust him in his ways. Stay true to yourself. Stay honest no matter how hard it is. Let your ego go. Trust is another word for faith. 
Your faith in God will create the hope you need to keep moving forward and not get stuck. And your faith will help you know what the next step is in any given situation, what it might be. Your faith will help you ask for help even when it doesn't seem like you know what to do. Um, your faith will point you to the way of love. I mean, God is love after all. And then this verse again sweeps over us, dear one. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And I will strengthen you and help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's got us. Now fear. Fear makes me make terrible decisions. Think about the crappy decisions you've made. What were you scared of that made you do that? I mean, I have a pretty serious example. It's serious. Like, um, it has to do with minors and it has to do with sexual stuff. A serious example. When I was in fifth grade, there was this girl named Jennifer who was a bully. I mean, she was a real bitch. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, the rest of the story, I'm changing people's names. Jennifer was her name and she was a bully and a real bitch okay my problem primarily in my life is that I hate it when I think somebody doesn't like me it probably sounds weird because my mouth is such a loose cannon and you know I offend people all the time uh, I say sorry a lot but uh, you can kind of see the tension there in my life. I want you to like me, but at the same time, I want us to be brutally honest with each other. And as a grown woman, I have reserved my brutal honesty for uh, your dad, uh, my close friends, my mom, my brother. Um, but fifth grade, fifth grade Mariah. So we're talking like nine, ten years old. There's a little witch named Jennifer who was mean to everyone. A real... This a true bully. Uh, one way she would really give someone the business was by being nice. And she would befriend you. And she would get you to tell her something in confidence. Uh, she would say stuff like, um, if you really want to be my friend, real friends tell each other secrets to each other. So um, you're going to need to tell me a secret if you really want to be my friend. And then she would spread that gossip like wildfire. And she would humiliate you. For me... When she decided to be my quote-unquote friend, um, I totally believed her. <laughs> I was totally swallowed up because I honestly thought she liked me, and by liking me, I felt special. Um, she was so mean to everyone, and she seemed like literally to dislike everyone. So the fact that she liked me made me this like special exception. I totally bought into it. Okay, I was also friends with this other girl in my neighborhood, named Missy. That's not her real name. Missy, uh, though, was also someone I wanted to be friends with, but for different reasons. Um, Missy was super boy crazy, but she was also really pretty. This meant she got a lot of attention from guys. And me? Well, I was as average as they get. You know, I'm not, wasn't an ugly kid. 
wasn't really pretty either. <laughs> I was kind of like a cheese sandwich, just ordinary and nothing much. So for me to find someone who stood out to be my friend was pretty exciting. I mean, fifth grade girls can be pretty shallow, but fifth grade girls can also be pretty hormonal too. So uh, I spent some a lot of time with Missy. And the more I realized uh, that there was actually a lot more going on with her um, than just being boy crazy. Um, well, this is uncomfortable for me to talk about, um, turns out. Uh, the only way I can describe it was to say she was kind of like an early bloomer. Um, you know, for you and your brother, we talk about how there are places on your body that are covered up by a swimsuit, and those areas that are covered up by your swimsuit are private. And people shouldn't touch you in those places. Um, no one should be touching you in the spots that are covered up by a swimsuit. It doesn't matter if they're a kid at school or a grown-up or a family member. Um, unless it's your mom and dad asking if you need some help or whatever, right? Um, someone, no one, I don't know if anyone actually had that conversation with Missy before because her and her cousin would definitely be touching each other in swimsuit zones. Um, it got to a point, um, I was, I, you don't think you're like, no, that can't be what's happening here. Um, but they tried to include me and I wasn't into it. It actually freaked me out a little bit. Um, my brother, who's older than me, um, he knew Missy's older sister. Um, he once, like, tried talking to me about her and her cousin once, like, hey, is there something going on? You know, he was really um, aloof and vague. Uh, I knew he knew something um, he wasn't talking to me about, and I wasn't talking to him about it either, so... Um, so that was happening. And Jennifer, the horrible one, she starts asking prying questions about Missy. And looking back on it, it was probably out of jealousy because Missy was pretty. She was popular. Um, and I spilled the beans. I said something stupid like, uh, you know, Missy's cool, but, you know, well, this is kind of a secret. But her and her cousin kind of fool around. And, oh my God, I wanted to eat those words right back up after they fell, fell out. And I was gripped with fear um, because so much now of what I knew and what I've seen and experienced now rested all on how Jennifer would respond. And I quickly said, oh, I'm just kidding. That'd be crazy, girl. Too late. That bully had the ammo she needed, and she was off to destroy my life and Missy's life. And I fell apart. Um, I went to my mom. I'm, like, beside myself, and um, I was scared. I told um, my mom that I had told a lie about Missy to a bully who was going to tell everyone. But this, too, it was a lie. I just lied to my mom about the lie. And then I was too afraid to say that Missy was trying to to sexually experiment with me, a fifth grader. I was afraid to say that Missy and her cousin were also too close. I was afraid of losing friends with Jennifer 
uh, even though she was such a horrible person. I was afraid of saying anything and I was ashamed of being stupid. I was guilty, felt guilty for not telling my brother the truth when he asked me. Uh, my mom had me walk to Missy's house and tell her family what I had told Jennifer and that I had made it up, that I had lied about Missy, which I didn't actually lie, but I'm hoping everyone's buying it as a lie. I mean, the whole thing is horrible. It's still horrible. I mean, good. There's some good that comes from the story. Um, one was that Missy and Jennifer were not friends with me after that. I mean, at the time I was crushed, but as a grown-up, um... I feel like I was ushered out of a really bad situation, so that's good. Um, in my undergraduate work in college, I had to create a philosophy of ministry, and one commitment I made had to do with minors and sex. Um, as a pastor, you're required to tell um, the authorities if you know child abuse is happening, if someone talks about it, but I wanted to take that a step further because I didn't want fear to make me withhold information on this kind of stuff. If I found out two teens were doing it, I'd have them tell their parents. And trust me, this did not make me a popular leader or minister. I mean, I even had parents pissed at me to tell me that their kids' privacy and coming-of-age situations don't need to be shared with them. But you know what? <laughs> I would rather do that than be quiet or hide something or cover something up. I mean, even adults. There was one time I was giving people, I was giving these this two people, the benefit of the doubt. Uh, one of them was a married lady. The other was a single dude. I'm like, oh no, no, no. And you know what? I got called out for not noticing this married lady flirting with this dude. I mean, seriously, it's a lose-lose for me. On one hand, a parent knows their kid is sexually active. And on the other hand, um, kid's pretty much done confiding in me. Uh, which, you know, I hate knowing that someone doesn't like me. But that's where I stand with minors and sex. I would rather be hated. I'm down. Because making fear-based choices, it always, it always goes sideways in the end. Um, I shouldn't have been scared that Jennifer wouldn't be friends with me if I didn't share, her, share my secrets with her. I mean, that was her whole game, right? I mean, gossip. It's a real bitch, man. I shouldn't have been scared to talk to my brother. I shouldn't have been scared to tell my mom the truth. It was all bad. Still bad in my mind. And in a situation like that, it gets messy, right? Would it have been better for Missy to get caught? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what's really going on with her family to make her hypersexual at such a young age. I don't know what what's going on. Um, but what I do know is that if I was honest with my family, the road would have still been hard, but it would have been right. If you let fear drive your choices, life gets out of control. Um, in a more uh, easier story to tell you, <laughs> it's still a hard story, but not like that. Different. Uh, I remember when I first married your dad, um, he loved to spend money and I loved to save it. I was in charge of our finances because I was afraid he would spend all our money and it eventually made me a little crazy. <laughs> Why? Because I can't control a variable like your dad when I'm married. I mean, when I was single, I could control everything. Your dad was unpredictable. Um, 
for my sanity and for the sake of our marriage, I had to let him be in control of our money instead of myself. Uh, I know what's going on with our finances. I'm no, you know, head in the sand type of um, person, but it's not on my shoulders and it's not my responsibility. And that might sound trivial, but people get divorced over money issues. It's a real thing. I had to get a handle on my fear of being without money and your dad had to factor in his spending. And I'll tell you what, it was one of the best choices I ever made as a wife and as a teammate. I mean, your dad's anxiety about money is much more level-headed than myself. I fear that's how it shows up in my life. It shows up as anxiety. I get anxious and I feel the need to get organized and get into control. I mean, in college, it showed up as an eating disorder, as a married person, um, as a pastor, I had some unusual and unconscious things that I did, like pick at scabs or itch my scalp. True story. Um, I have healthier ways to deal with fear these days. <laughs> for one, I talk about it when I'm in the thick of it. I go for a run. I talk to more people I trust. I hit the gym. I talk to God. I call a friend. I go out for drinks with friends. <laughs> I find things to laugh about because like you, I like laughing. I eat well-prepared food. I cook something new. I spend more time with people. I ask your dad to help me if he sees me picking <laughs> because for me, I got to surround myself with people who love me and help me feel better. Um, and remember the verse God tells us. He says, do not fear for I am with you and do not be dismayed for I am your God. I'll strengthen you and I'll help you and I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. If he is with us, and we are with him, then we have the hope that it's going to be okay. And when we are committed to being honest about the good and the bad parts of who we are with God, there's hope. And when we tell the truth in hard situations, even if the outcome hurts us, there's hope. When the right decision means that we won't be liked by people we want to like us, we choose the right thing anyway, then there's hope. I mean, think of the heroes, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., even Jesus. They chose the road of justice and righteousness, even though it was filled with pain. It was because choosing to act out of love instead of fear creates hope for multitudes of people. Although fear is powerful, I mean, it can propel you to actions and entice you to do things you might not never normally do. Love is more powerful still. Love can create peace. It can create tranquil peace of mind to lead you to make decisions with a clean heart. You don't have to hide when you make a decision from love. You're not reactionary. You become intentional. By giving up what seems to be the power, you become an unshakable mountain of strength. You get to just be you and all your wonder and all your imperfection. Even in being willing to own our own mistakes, um, that provides an opportunity, opportunity for us to really learn from what we've done and do something different the next time. I mean, you can't do that if you're making choices because you're afraid. So do not fear, for I am with you. And do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Baby boy, you are the one who woke up my soul.
Who you are blesses me. You have some qualities of myself in you and your and of your dad too, but but make no mistake, son. You are unique and special. And the way God created you, your likes, your dislikes, the way you love people, the way people's words matter to you, all of it. God made you that way on purpose. And being your mom is the best season of my life, hands down. Sometimes get sad that I had to wait so long to have you because I want to spend as much time with you as I can. That's why I'm always trying to eat healthy and attempting to work out. <laughs> I want to live a long time and share my life with you. I want you to be little forever, but I'm also so excited to see how you unfold into a man. You're so fun. You're so handsome. And you're my joy. When you get scared or stressed out, may you remember that God is trustworthy. You can be totally vulnerable with him. You don't have to pretend. He won't serve you. When you're happy, he loves you. And when you're sad, he loves you. When you're angry, he loves you. And when you're scared, he loves you. When you're naughty, he loves you. And when you're good, he loves you. He loves you no matter what. And furthermore, he'll help you. He will hold you up. He'll guide you and protect you. And he also knows I'll do my best to do the same for you, my sweet prince. <laughs>